Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. That means you're listening to the Mystery of Parenthood. I love that song. But anyway, Stephanie's here and uh, she's going to start us off. Good morning. Good morning. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life through your son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. And grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in and through our families. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, Holy Family of Nazareth. Pray for us. St. John Paul II. Pray, Pray for, for us. Father and the Son, Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. All right. So, part two. <laughs> part two. Uh, we, if, if you listen the last week. Um, we were doing from the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. They had put out um, rights and duties of parents, and and if if you remember, just it's it it's not like a list of like here are your rights and duties. Instead, they they pulled from various documents. Um, a lot of them last week were from Vatican II, especially Gaudium et Spes, but also from John Paul II's encyclical Familiaris Consortio on the uh, family in the modern world. And, and, um, I thought it was really fruitful. We just were reading through those, these little quotes that they have put together that are revealing little synopsis, little synopsis and then, then our comments on it, which, which helps us. Hopefully it'll help you, but, uh, but we'll, we'll go through them and, um, hopefully I can, yeah, I think I got where these are coming from. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, no, actually the first one, I don't know, but, um, but most of these I'll know where they, where they came from. Um, anyway, so we'll just pick up where we left off on the second page and, um, we'll get through as many as we can and hopefully they're helpful. So the next one that they had, um, is from Pius the 12th, which is, um, Interesting. It says, of its nature, perfect married life means also the complete self-sacrifice of parents on behalf of their children and love of husband and wife in its strength and tenderness is an essential need for the most earnest care of the child and the guarantee that this care will be taken. Well, a couple, couple things I, you know, we've always said that, I mean, I think that speaks to the last part of that, that the love of husband and wife in its strength and tenderness is an essential need for the most earnest care of the child. I think lots of times we think and can kind of be, because of the craziness of what's going on, led to think, well, it's all about the kids. Well, what the kids need is for the for the love of the husband and wife to be fostered and to know that that relationship is solid. If you think about it from a theology of the body standpoint, John Paul didn't say this, but, but the reality is they at some level have a deep awareness of the fact of where they came from, you know, mom and dad. And there's something about that union that makes people, that's what it was. I brought it up last time. Won't have to bring up the throwing, you know, the plate flying through the air, but, but the conversation <laughs> that my, that my parents would have which I don't think I appreciated until later, but it did mean something to me that, yes, we've argued, yes, we're in a disagreement, but no, you don't ever have to worry about us 
breaking up. It's not going to happen. And I'm not saying you have to say that, but you certainly have to make it where there's nothing that the kids would think would, and if they ever had that fear, they need to know that that love between the, the dad and the mom, which sometimes includes um, disagreements, um, is solid because that's, like I said, I think deep down they kind of sense, they know that's where they came from. So um, I love the the strength and tenderness part. <laughs> right. So I just think that, um, you know, I, I see so much in, well, obviously between you and I, but, but, um, but also in, in most couples, you know, one is one and one is the other and where they are best is somewhere in the middle. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So, um, you know, someone's kind of the, the, the strength and, and, uh, sort of the justice oriented one. And then someone's usually the heart and the tender. And I wonder who's, who. Uh, <laughs> we've already been through this, <laughs> so, but you get the heart, but regardless, but regardless, <laughs> but regardless, well, I mean, but there's, like you said, it's always, it's not an either or it usually is a balance, which, which requires that consistent kind of coming to some middle ground, not like you're, not not like you're negotiating necessarily, but you're just kind of like, okay, here's where it fits. And I always know that both of us probably could go too far in one direction if it wasn't for the other one kind of saying, Hey, you know, let's come this direction. And, and, uh, anyway, I'm certain we're better together (laughs) than apart in, in both trying to show strength and tenderness in, in our parenting. Um, the other, the other thing that I think is important and I, you know, if you pour yourself into it, um, perfect married, perfect married life means complete self-sacrifice <laughs> of the parents on behalf of their children, complete self-sacrifice, not partial self-sacrifice. And, I think I've, we've, I've talked to it before because it's kind of counterintuitive and it's certainly counter to what the culture says that somehow you got to protect part of part of yourself, like divided, divided out. And that somehow I got to hold on to something when in fact, when, when we do lay it all out for the sake of the other, I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. I'm not saying don't, don't watch out. But what I am saying is to not hold back like, well, I'm never going to let that go. You know, I mean, if you'd asked me early on giving up certain football games, you know, of course God provided TiVo for me. (laughs) But, or a recording, <laughs> but, but would have been, would have been, right, I mean, facts. I mean, uh, that would have been something like, I, okay, there's certain things I'm not giving up. I mean, I've heard people negotiate. I'm not giving up deer hunting, uh, you know, for this period. What I'm saying is contrary to what you think that joy that that would bring to you. I think the, the, the part that's counterintuitive that actually does happen is the more you let go of things, for the sake of the other, the more you decrease for the sake of the other, you'll be, you'd be, I think most people would be surprised at the joy that comes from that self-sacrifice. Not that it's not hard, mm-hmm. but there is a human tendency to kind of just hold tight. Like there's things I'm not going to not do and to be open to, it doesn't mean you can't watch football game tray, you know, um, or whatever it is that you'd hold on to. It just means you got to be willing to kind of sacrifice that for the sake of whatever is going on and that there's actually joy in that sacrifice. That's actually what we're made for. Because if, if Christ is the example, then to lay down one's life for the sake of the other, for the spouse and his spouses together as parents to your children, to lay down yourself and what you hold on to. I mean, can you think of it? I mean, I, I let go of football, you know, not completely, okay? Not even close to completely, but I, but I do try to – I'm not like I used to <laughs> because you came Sunday back in when I was 23 or 24, it was 
all day or and saturday was all day now there's just i have to ask permission for, for <laughs> there's, certain, snippets. there's there's snippets <laughs> and um uh, and sometimes i can fast forward if i got tivo going <laughs> but but anyway i it's all been worth it and amazingly it ha- hasn't made my life miserable <laughs> Which was what I would thought of years ago. I don't know. Do you, do you any thoughts on that stuff? Well, I mean, it. You know, I, one of our principles of of you know parenting is parenting is hard. Um, right. You know, and that's I think that is, you know, the hardest person we fight probably is our is ourselves and our own you know earthly desires and um, and I think that being able to um, to to be that example of sacrifice without the doom and gloom cloth, you know, the sackcloth and the ashes, um, you know, is you're being an example to your children of, of God's love because right. it and is I think complete. I was just thinking about, you know, simple things, not, not major things like giving up football, <laughs> but, but Stop simple things. I'm sorry. Already. I'm, I'm addicted. <laughs> I got problems, but, but, but um, the, 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 the simple things are like this. You've got something you wanted to do at this, at, you know, at this period of time. It was, I'm going to get this done now. Mm-hmm. And something occurs. Mm-hmm. It may or may not be emergent to you, but it might be emergent to the child, a teenager, a little kid, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the response to that, to lay down what, you know, what, what you had in your plan is a small sacrifice for the sake of the other. That's what I, that's where I finally, when one day I realized that, cause I'm definitely a list person. You may have your football. I have my list. She's got her <laughs> list. Believe me. And I like to check off and highlight and I like most of them to be checked off and highlighted by the end of the day. Right. So there's my little <laughs> idiosyncrasy. Right. And I realized um, one Yours day, is productive that, at least, but anyway. well, um, <laughs> sometimes depends on what's on the list. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I think I realized one day, um, you know, just one of those, I called them little Holy spirit moments where, um, you know, interrupted yet again and the list was getting further and further undone and, and, you know, just kind of heard that, you know, well, that's your to to do list. Well, here's mine, you know, right. The, yeah. the Holy Spirit saying here, here's where I want you, um, you know, and so, and, and, and it sounds ridiculous because really, are you going to pick, you know, getting down on your child's level and maybe playing blocks or reading a book, you know, that they're yankering for you to read versus laundry. Like really? But you, but you can, but it's hard. It was hard for me because laundry was on the list that day. (laughs) Right. Or or whatever it is. And that's exactly, that's a perfect example. A child comes again, what you're wanting to do is create, what parents want to do is create kind of them knowing the character that you have, and I, right? So if, if the answer when they ask to play or they want to talk is not right now because I'm busy, and then they see that that busyness is doing the laundry or watching a football game, um, then that's communicating something to them, <laughs> right? And if you, if you do it multiple times, pretty soon they're going to stop asking, and what you don't want is them to ever feel like you're going to stop asking. You don't want them to say it's not even worth asking because I always know what the question is. You know, I think of the sto- you know the cats in the cradle and the silver oh, spoon. You know, yeah. one of the saddest songs ever is what they and then they learn that that's what what it looks like. So se- self sacrifice is not a big, not necessarily a big issue. It's it's lots of small issues. When they come, because you don't know when that window is. We used to always, you know, we were taught a long time ago by somebody said, you got to be, when those windows open, when they open up some vulnerability to you, or they're asking you to just play, or can you talk? You know, if you really have something to do, you know, the timer is our best friend. <laughs> and especially if they're, especially if they're younger then just say, hey, I would, I'm going to do it right now. But, but I, I, you're, you're first. 
and I, I'm going to do it, but can we put a timer on? Because I really do have some other things that I need to do. So I'll do, let's do 15 minutes and we'll put the timer on and then be there with them. And, and that way you don't have to think about that. I mean, that would be an appropriate way to do it. But what you want them to be communicated to them is that they're more important than the other thing I'm doing. Right. I mean, that's, they just need to see that even if it's just 15 minutes, maybe it's just five. The younger they are, that short duration to them <laughs> is a long time. You got to remember that because at 58, Stephanie's 29, but, <laughs> but, but, but at my, but at my age, I know, you know, 15 minutes is like gone, but to a three-year-old, 15 minutes is a lifetime. <laughs> And so, so don't think in terms of yours and, and all you want is to make sure that they know if they open up or asking in your vulnerability, do everything you can to be characterized by being okay. That does not mean that there's not sometimes that you can say, I, I can't do it right now. Let's, can we, let me finish this and I'll do it. So if you say that, then you want to be characterized by when I finish doing it, they don't have to come ask. You go and find them. So, again, these are the pennies you pitch into this relationship that you want them to know, hey, I'm important to them. And that's what you want your kids as they grow up to know. And the reality is they should be important to you. So, um, anyway, I, that's just something that I that I thought was came from that one. So, uh we move on to number two. So at this rate, we'll be done in like three years. <laughs> but but uh, the, the next one was, uh, it is therefore the duty of parents to create a family atmosphere inspired by love and devotion to God and to their fellow man, or to, fellow, to their fellow men, to other human beings. And so, see, ESPN's going off. Uh, <laughs> Almost on key. I've turned it off, exactly. Pretty close. <laughs> But but this is one of the duties, and this comes from, I think, uh, Gaudium Evangelium, which I think is the good news. Um, anyway, I, I don't know. It's GE number three. I, I apologize for not knowing that. There's actually another one from it. But I think that it's the duty of parents to create a family atmosphere inspired by love and devotion to God to their fellow man. Again, that's basically the commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment, right? And so what they're saying is, is the, a family atmosphere where that's the inspiration. <clears throat> so how do you do that? Well, I mean, you, you pray together. <laughs> you read the Bible together. You talk about God. And then you cultivate a sense, particularly between siblings of I am responsible. I am my brother's keeper. I, I, I need to look out for them. So, you know, and I think when they're old, when, when you've got young, younger kids, you, sometimes you pull aside the older one and, and say, Hey, hey man, you're just going to mean the world to, and, and encourage them to play with their, younger brother or younger sister, maybe when it's not the cool thing to do. So you cultivate in, in them a, a, an understanding that that's important. You are their keeper. Yeah. I think we forget that, um, that the relationships that are cultivated within a family system are then the way they take relationships out into the world, 100%. you know, with friends and, and, um, you know, roommates, other family and roommates and, and eventually, you know, spouses and right, right, that. right. So, I mean, the, the family, you know, besides being the domestic church is, you know, also the religious domestic playing field, <laughs> right? you know, um, where they're, they're looking. And that's when we always talked about, um, cause kids, kids aren't born with manners and the ability to, to navigate situations. Um, and I, I think the best advice we got very early on 
was to role play. So, you know, when something when something's going on between two siblings, instead of, you know, coming down with the hammer and putting people in the corner, I mean, you haven't taught them anything by that other than that that's not a good behavior and there's a consequence for it. But, and I'm not saying sometimes separation and a little bit of, you know, downtime is not a, a bad thing. But then don't forget to come back and say, okay, so when your brother took that truck from you, that wasn't right. And he needs to apologize for that. And then you teach them how to say, you know, uh, you know, I'm 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 sorry, please forgive me for, you know, and, and name the offense. And, and, you know, would you forgive? Would you please forgive me? But also to say, how could you have gotten that truck back from him instead of hitting him? <laughs> right. You know, instead of instead of clobbering him because he did something wrong, then you did something wrong. And it's just like this, you know, cycle of wrongness. Um, how could you have handled that situation? Tell, you know, and let them play it out. Um, it's so and, important. Yeah, it yeah. is. It and really then is. and then if it comes up and again, you're going to do it over and over. It's just like God working on us. I, I was like, thank God he doesn't get too impatient. But 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 you 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 teach him. But but what you do is. As things happen, hey, remember we talked about, you know, that's kind of the conversation. Remember we talked about like how, so why don't you go try that? And then on the other side, you've got to coach the person to say, okay, when when your brother or sister asks nicely, how how should you respond? And you're you're coaching and counseling both sides of that equation. But what you're doing is you're you're giving them kind of the tools. That otherwise they don't know, because if you just say, "Well, you hit your brother, go over there, and you and you let him go," well, you, you maybe know that's not hit, but you've given him no tools to like, because that was wrong. I mean, so you gave him no tools to actually deal with the situation. So remember, it, and this is another thing that I think is so important: if you'll fight the battles when they're little, if you'll teach them when they're little and foster that going up, growing up, then you won't have as big a problems when they get older. Because whatever you don't deal with when they're three, four, five, six, if you don't deal with it and it's a problem and you just write it off to, oh, that, well, that's cute, or they're just a little kid, <laughs> they, it's going to have to be dealt with at some point. And it's a lot easier when they're younger to cultivate that kind of yeah, this is how you love. This is how you love somebody. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and and again, it's always just little things like, hey, you know, I could help your brother with math or with calculus. I, you're really good at it. Why don't you share that with him? You know, that's what you're made for—to give your gifts to somebody else. So, those are the kind of things and conversations that you have to try to encourage that and recognize that that, you know, what happens in this family and the way we treat one another. Um, is going to be replicated out there. And if whatever we don't deal with and it goes out of the family, it's going to actually end up happening for that person later. And anyway, it's just being cognizant of that yeah. and build that and just, atmosphere. Well, and I think it's just opportunities, you know? I mean, I think that it really changed the way that I looked at things um, when the children would get, you know, in sorts with one another you know, you can either look at it as like an annoyance and this is the 50th time I've had to put people in the corner or you can look at it as an opportunity to, you know, to pitch those pennies, an opportunity to, to teach, you know. And, and, and while you're saying and that. Disciple. I mean, exactly. And you're, and, doing, you're, yeah. and you're discipling them. But 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 one, the other thing is if you if you teach them and somewhere down the road, particularly if they did it without you saying, <laughs> like – so it's one thing you you coach them and then you remind them and if they do it and it works then you you encourage it but you always want to be looking for opportunities to pray. So if you witness a situation where okay 3 year, you know, 3 months later similar situation hand, and they both handle it well based on your previous coaching and counseling, right? Make sure to make a big deal out of it. Right? You want to find ways to praise. You don't want to be always the one that is coming down on them. You want to find opportunities to praise them because 
the easiest and the most natural thing I think is to always, well, no, don't do that. No, you can't do that. And, and if they, if you get characterized by that, then that's what they're going to see from mom and dad instead of every once in a while. And if you really are on it, you should try to do it at least equally as much when they do something right to say, Hey, I noticed when you were playing with your brother that this came up and you handled that extraordinarily well. I'm very proud of you. Those things should be coming out of our mouths as they go. So you're reinforcing that. Um, so anyway, I think it's another way of creating that atmosphere. Absolutely. All right. So number three, maybe it's four years, but um, as it is, <laughs> at it, at it, as it is, the parents who have given life to their children on them lies the gravest obligation of educating their family. They must therefore be recognized as being primarily and principally responsible for their education. The role of parents in education is of such importance that it is almost impossible to provide an adequate substitute. And I think that flows from a couple of things. First and foremost, you know, I've talked on here, maybe not even with you here talking behind your back, Steph, but, <laughs> but about how concerned you were with homeschooling. And again, this is not about homeschooling. This is about, and what I always believed was, listen, there's nobody that's going to care about your child. So even if you feel like you have some impediment to doing that, the fact that you're the mother and I'm the father means that we're going to care more about what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing certain things. And so we'll, we'll pour ourselves into that and work at that. Well, and, and I just, I mean, I take that as, you know, to total overall involvement. I mean, you know, what they're learning in school, you want, you know, you want them to bring home and you're overseeing and encouraging excellence, you know, in, in their work. Um, and what does that mean? Turning things in on time, do, you know, not, not, not the grades always. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's, I, you know, it's so interesting. We never, we never really focused on, on grades, but, um, but just doing your best. And, and if that was, you know, if that was your best, then you should feel good about it because right. we're all not going to be great at science. We're all not going to be great at math, you know, um, but if you can show a little mastery over something and you've done your best and it's your most excellent work, then, you know, you ought to be proud of it. So I just think that and that just flows from everything. I mean, I think education, just like we were just talking about with situations <clears throat> and moral, you know, and, and, and um, you know, helping to set their moral compass um, and and education with, you know, from, you know, RE when they're when they're going to RE bringing that home. I mean. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, you know, we have to, we can't leave it to teachers or, you know, religious ed teachers or, I mean, all of the, all of that education needs to be reiterated and, and, you know, um, just solidified in the home, you know. Right. Sometimes corrected, right? I mean, that's, yeah. again, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes, Actually. sometimes, Various things, you know, well, what did what did what did the teacher say or whatever? And again, you want to foster where they can bring up something. And and you know, and we again would say, hey, sometimes you're going to hear things that may not sound right or like what we believe. Let us know. I mean, because because if there's a gut, like Stephanie, you always say, I mean, you know that voice. Did you hear that voice inside? Is that again kind of calling them to recognize that there's the still small voice inside of them. They're baptized Christians, right? Um, did you hear that? Okay. That's great. You've taught them because that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Or they did something that they should have been listening to it. Well, did you, did that, when you decided to do that, did that, was there something in you that bothered you? You know, Steph would ask that question and I said, yeah, it was Okay. That's the voice you need to be listening to. So again, you're training them also to kind of listen to their conscience as well. And that can be doing something bad or it can be a, a teacher teaching something inaccurately or 
not in accordance with what we believe or what they've been raised to believe and to be able to have that and, and talk through, not everybody believes like we do, not everybody. So you're going out into a world where you're not always going to be welcomed or what you think is, is going to be disagreed with. So again, as little kids, you know, that's, that's it. I mean, you know, other things that I've seen come up with, you know, with parents that, that is part of part of this parents should educate them on. You're not always going to be the best at what you do. I'm not always going to tell you you're the best. And that doesn't mean that you don't continue doing it, but recognize that sometimes you're going to come in second. Sometimes you're going to come in last. Sometimes you're not going to make the team. And what do we do with that? Those are all that transfers out into life in how, in how you deal with it. And parents do not always rescue your, Stephanie has to help me with that a lot. Don't always rescue your kids. (laughs) I mean, rescue them from the, they're going to get run over by a car, (laughs) but don't rescue them from (laughs) them trying something, not doing well, and then being told, well, you didn't make the team by making it the coach's fault or the, somebody else's fault, right? I mean, these are all things that happen in day-to-day life that are all teaching opportunities. And the answer is not, you're perfect, you're great, whatever they said's wrong. You know, that's why we've always said we watch American Idol back when it was actually brutal when, when Simon was on it. And you could see these early people because, because I'm like, okay, there's when he was just bashing, like, you're awful. You know, what are you even doing here? And then we all heard it and they were awful. And then they go out and the parents like, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You're great. You're going to make it big. And I'm like, okay, you got two, you've got grace without truth on one end. You got truth without grace on the other. The real answer is truth and grace, which is found in Jesus Christ. You don't even have to say it that way, but you've got to be willing to accept the truth, but it's got to be done graciously. And we used to always say, I've, we've said this before, would you want us as parents to do what that parent, you just heard that person sing, were they any good? They were awful. <laughs> and you heard the parent out there trying to be the loving parent and in doing so is telling them a lie about their talent. Would you want us to do that? No, I'd want you to never allow me to sing in front of other people again. I'm like, okay, so just know that sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is you're not as good as you want to be at something. And we're going to graciously tell you that, but we're not going to feed you a lie so as to protect you or to challenge you to work harder at something, whatever you want to do. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, we've had several kids who have either not made something or, um, you know, had something that they needed to work on and, they were really motivated to do it. And so, you know, then that in that way, we helped them, you know, get what they needed to to make themselves, you know, to make themselves better. But it was with their own hard work and, you know. Um, and, us, and us helping them out. Yeah. With that. I mean, yeah, yeah. but that's that's why parents are always, well, should always be love their children. Typically they do care about their child more than the teacher or the coach, right? Hopefully that's the case. I mean, that, that would be the natural response. And what they're saying is you can't replace that. But the answer is not to say, well, the coach is bad, always, <laughs> maybe never. But but certainly it can't always be pointing outward when when we owe it to our children as parents to help them deal with that. Right, deal with failure, deal with not making a team, making a bad play in a game, whatever, playing a bad note, making a fool of themselves when they tried something, and coach them through that as well. What we're saying is, it's the it's the the opportunities that happen or the day to day stuff that when they're involved in real life, school, athletics, band, choir, whatever, the grocery store. There's always teaching opportunities that come up that this is this is the way. And it's just little pennies that all hopefully over the 18 years or so that they're in your house that all add up to some consistency and some understanding of that. Again, I'm just thinking of this. We we always want to raise 
we always said we wanted to raise people we'd want to be friends with <laughs> and would trust their opinions on. Uh, so, you know, I've had my kids tell me things, harsh truths like, hey, dad, you really didn't handle that very well. <laughs> you know, it's good to get that from a from a, a young adult who's your who's your child. Right. I mean, they're still your child, but we raised them that that that's the case. So I've I've appreciated it. It's usually pretty humbling, though. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, uh, anything else on that? Good. Number four, right? The fecundity of conjugal love, the fruitfulness, I guess, of conjugal love cannot be reduced solely to the procreation of children, but must extend to their moral education and their spiritual formation. And again, they quote actually what they what we just did. So this is again, these are quotes. This is coming from the catechism when I read. They quote what we just read. The role of parents in education is of such importance that it is almost impossible to provide an adequate substitute. And then the last line of this catechism uh, section is the right and duty of parents to educate their children are primordial and inalienable, which means they're like foundational. They're like the first thing. They're, they're the source. So that they're right to educate their children and they have a duty to educate their children are primordial and inalienable. They cannot be taken away. There are inalienable rights, rights that are granted by God that no matter what anybody says, no matter what a government says, cannot be taken away from that. So again, and that was from the Catechism 2221. Yeah, from the Catechism yeah. 2221. They actually, but then quoted, they, they quoted yeah. the one that we had just read from that. So I guess we can probably find and post where they, where y'all could get this. It's the USCCB rights and duties of parents. So anyway, uh, anything on that? We'll go to the number, f- the fifth one. These aren't numbered. It, I'm, just the paragraphs, just little paragraphs. paragraphs, little paragraphs. Uh, parents must regard their children as children of God and respect them as human persons, showing themselves obedient to the will of the Father in heaven. They educate their children to fulfill God's law. There sure seems to be a little education theme happening today. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if you break down, you know, um, effectively, I mean, if you're going to, the church's position is if you're going to procreate, if you're going to participate with God in creating a child and bring them into the world, then you have a right and a responsibility to educate them. So if it has to do with parents, if it has to do with parents, it is not simply I put food on the table, (laughs) you know, you have a roof over your head, all your needs are met materially. That's not the church's stance. It, that, at a minimum, should be what you do, but that's kind of like just the basic stuff. What it, what it does say is if God gives you children, <laughs> you're responsible to educate them. And, and if you notice on this one, um, well, actually, was it this one? Um I think it was before spirit, but but it's spiritual and oh yeah, that was from a little bit further. But yeah, further no, it was up. from Catechism twenty two twenty one, the one that we just did. Yeah, the, so their moral education and their spiritual formation. So so education also from the church's <clears throat> standpoint of your children is not like math, reading, and science. I mean, either. I mean, that's again basic. You want your kids to be good at that so that they can discover their talents and and have an impact in this world, but. Moral education, how do you handle what's right and wrong? How do you do this? And spiritual formation, there is a God. He has a plan for your life. You need to pray, read the Bible, discover and seek him out. And if you seek him, you will find him type of mentality. So it's education. But in this world, we often talk about, well, you know, I'm getting a good education from our children. Well, that could be I'm putting them in the right school or whatever, but the church is saying it's more than just that. It's moral education, right and wrong, and spiritual education. There is a God. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. How do you listen to him? Those type of things. 
So, well, and I think you know the other important thing here is that they are to remember that their children are children that belong to God. Right. And that we've. I, I think your mom was so good at this, and you know, being the control freak that I am, I really struggled with. Well, no, he gave them to me, and then you know. Uh, he'll get them back eventually, I guess. But <laughs> right. I'm in charge now. <laughs> right. Wow. No. <laughs> without, you know, that without him, you can do nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> parenting 101. <laughs> first <Right>. quote. <laughs> exactly. But mom yeah. always said, yeah, uh, that, we're stewards, you right. know, of, right. of you. We're, you're not ours. Right. I mean, we've been, you've been entrusted to us. By the way, I heard somebody talking about. I heard somebody talking about. It. Maybe it was a Patrick Madrid show either today or yesterday. I don't know. But but he was talking. A parent had called in and said, "Hey, you know, we're like the only parents that see this as wrong." And then the kids come to us and say, "Why, why, why do all these other parents allow their kids to do this, and you're saying we can't do it?" And <laughs> I remember because of this, I said, because we're stewards of you, of, of you, we're, you, God has been entrusted, has entrusted you to us. And when we die, we have to answer for our stewardship. So what that means is I've got to try to discern, as this says here, God's will for your life. I could be misreading him, but at this moment, I believe he says, you shouldn't be doing that. And if I believe he's telling me you shouldn't be doing that, I don't care what any of them, because when I go to my last judgment, when I die, I'm going to have to answer for my answer right here. And and that was my response. So I could be wrong. All those other parents could be right, possibly. But even if that's the case, I can't say yes, because I want to go to heaven. I'd like you to come to heaven with me. And so the answer's No. And, and I think that's a, that's a good answer. You're not my child. You're God's child, and he's given you to me for me to take care of. And so I think that's um, what this is, and I think it's important. You must regard your children as children of God first and to respect them as human persons. So part of that, again, is respect their dignity. Treat them with dignity. And sometimes dignity is, call, is calling them out. But sometimes dignity is, particularly as they get older, is to give them the opportunity to make decisions. You know, maybe even challenge them to make a decision. Um, but you as a parent kind of be able to weigh where that's appropriate. But you want, again, as we, we haven't talked about widening the funnel, but as they get older, you're going you're gonna, to, part of their dignity is, hey, you got a brain. You've, been, you, you've got enough information from what you learned from us and from the situation in front of you to make a good decision. Why don't you walk me through how you would think about doing this and what you think would do, and we can talk about it. You know, that, that's, a, that's a conversation. If you hear all these things, listen, part of being hard is, it's, it, is it involves time, right? And it involves a commitment to I've got a job to do. I've got rights and duties that have been given to me by God for that child. But I'm telling you, if you do it bit by bit, it becomes easier. I I know Stephanie always loved the little kids <laughs> because they they always ended up the same place you put them, right? <laughs> right. But, well, not always. Well, not, not always. <laughs> That's only the first few years. Yeah. You love the first Maybe. few years, though, right? <laughs> Uh, at least yes, after right. they started sleeping through the night. <laughs> but but I always contended that I was looking forward to their – my favorite years, listen, not without argument, not without discipline, not without things. So it's nothing perfect. But I enjoyed the last few years that they were in our house. I, I mean, I actually enjoyed every stage. I, I think I, I think too. I totally bought into – the terrible teen years. And I, I think, you know, where there were obviously challenges, I would have not called them terrible. <laughs> no, I mean. But I think we had also, again, as you said, not perfect, but we had established early on 
you know, communication and that our family's characterized by, you know, discussing things. And sometimes, you know, the answer still no. And sometimes it's like, wow, okay, well, you made a pretty good argument for that. And I still may not agree with you wholeheartedly, but, you know, this is not going to send you to hell. And so if you want to go do this, then, you know, I really don't agree with what, you know, I mean, so those kinds of discussions and nine times out of 10, they would come back. I mean, obviously you're not going to let your kids do something that's immoral, immoral, but, but nine times out of 10, they would come back and say, you know, I, I really shouldn't have done that. You're right. You know? And so kind of, planting that seed early on, you know, that, that. Yeah. From, from the very beginning, we, we learned. You're and giving them good information. From the very beginning, you learned, you, we, they learned. And I, and I think even though the words drive people crazy, part of the respecting their dignity is we gave them a way to, to not say no, but to ask, to, to ask for, for a chance. So like, if we said, Hey, you, you need to stop, we would, and, May I appeal? Oh. Was, was right, right. Yes, you need to turn that TV off and come down and eat. Yes, we taught them. May I appeal? We never could come up with anything yeah. better. Yeah. We, we were taught that. May I appeal meant, mom and dad, can we give you a little bit more information? Yes, we'll do it, but we'd like to add some of this. And sometimes, okay, yes, you may appeal. Sometimes the answer is no. We've got to go, but. More often than not, if they said, may I appeal? It's like, okay, give me the additional information. What what, what do I not looking at here? Well, hey, there's five minutes until the show's over. And can we watch it till till it's over instead of trying to come back to watch in the, the last five minutes? Okay, sure. Go ahead. Do that. And then hold them to, when it's over, you need to come. I don't need to come looking for you. When it's over, turn it off and come down. But again, that's respecting their dignity and allowing them. So even as they grew older, when they had other things... We would say, well, you can make an argument if you can make it. I mean, if, if it's something that is really not a immoral issue, but we created a culture where they felt like they could come back and say, hey, I don't think you're thinking through all of this. <laughs> and so I think that's important to build. And it, it, it reveals to them their dignity as a human person, that we care about their thoughts. It's not just do what I say because I say to do it. Um. And it allows them to know that, hey, I can give more information to mom and dad. They won't always change their mind. But I'm telling you, if they make a good argument and you can get comfortable with it, if you can do that a few times where they bring you that, the no's will be a lot easier down the road. Because when they when they say they know, okay, mom and dad, they, they don't always say no. And sometimes they take additional information. So anyway... Uh, that's part of revealing their their um, human dignity and respecting them. So, uh, anyway, let us see. Uh, we can we just got maybe a chance for a little bit more here. Um, this is one of my favorites. P- parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. There you go, education again. <laughs> they bear witness to this responsibility first by creating a home with tenderness, forgiveness, respect fidelity and disinterested service where that is the rule. The home is well suited for education in the virtues. This requires an apprenticeship in self-denial, sound judgment and self-mastery. The preconditions of all true freedom. Parents should teach their children to subordinate the material and instinctual dimensions to interior and spiritual ones. Parents have a grave example to give good example to their children by knowing how to acknowledge, listen to this, how to acknowledge their own failings to their children. Parents will better able, will be better able to guide and correct them. There's no way we're going to get through all this because there is a multitude well, of things that's of worth talking talk, about. Sure, we've talked about lot, some yeah, of we've it. We've talked about a lot of it. But, but um, my favorite part, and I... I and this is from the Catechism twenty two twenty three. They have some quotes here, but I but I, my favorite part is that last sentence I just read. Mm-hmm. They're actually saying by us as parents knowing how to acknowledge our own failings to their children, parents will be better able to guide and correct them. We're coming to the end. 
we're going to come back and talk and start with this one when we do this again. But I'm telling you, that is one of the tricks that I've found. If I make a mistake, if I handle something inappropriately for me to go with, particularly with them, and, and we tell them, I did not handle that well. I, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And you point it out. 100%, if you grow up that way, the kids will quickly turn and do the same thing as they grow older. If they've if you've given them the example of not always holding tight to, well, I'm never wrong, but acknowledging that. Yeah, because the grave responsibility to be a good example is pretty stressful. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. I love that it was completely followed by, and then knowing when to acknowledge that you're wrong. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it, they have all this stuff on the front end, which we're going to come back and do, but we've gotten to the end. We, we will finish this, and we're starting right there. But um, anyway, Steph's... I've got our little memory verse. Um, it will be from First Peter 5, 2 and 3. Tend the flock of God that is your charge, not by constraint, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not as domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Excellent. I know. That was a really great segue. Unbelievable. Holy Spirit playing that one well. Good job. (laughs) And remember, only God can help you take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And he always does. Always will. (laughs) Y'all pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Bye. God, God bless. God bless. Cross.